Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to season seven of Talking with Traders. We're now into the fourth year of this podcast since it started in early 2020. Once again, IG have come on board as our sponsor for this season. We are truly privileged and grateful to have such a global leader in CFD trading as our sponsor. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe on the topic of trading. Some will be follow-ups with past guests and some will be new guests. The idea behind this podcast is that you get a variety of views from a broad spectrum of market professionals. None of what you hear in these episodes is intended to be financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking about how you might be able to apply what you hear here into your own trading and investing. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Once again, thank you to IG for funding and sponsoring this podcast into its fourth year. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Please enjoy season seven of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Traders. This is season seven of Talking with Traders, and it's the second episode of season seven. And my guest today is someone who I've really, really been excited to talk to for a very long time. His name is Tom Sosnoff. Uh, he has a, a very illustrious career in the markets, was uh, vice president of trading at TD Ameritrade, founder of Think or Swim, uh, founder of Tasty Trade, Tasty Live, where he's currently uh, involved, 2014 Entrepreneur of the Year in the US Midwest. The list goes on and on. But uh, Tom, it's an absolute privilege to be speaking to you. Welcome to Talking with Traders. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Yeah, thank you very much. So, Tom, you you're the you've made a name for yourself in options trading, and you're you've kind of become the go-to guy for options trading in the retail market. Now, typically, options trading and retail market are terms that often don't appear in the same sentence. But yet you, you've managed to do it in a way that you, you, you simplify what is a very complicated part of the derivatives industry, I guess, and bring it to, uh, to retail traders in such a successful way. I love watching what you do. From what I've seen of your work, it seems predominantly that you're generally on the side of selling options in order to collect premium. Uh, and, and almost like as an income strategy from from what I've seen. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong with that. When you and I met in London recently at the Tasty Live event that you hosted there, um, you made a very interesting point that volatility and fear is typically overpriced or mispriced. And you want to be on, on the side selling the fear, selling the volatility. And that's kind of one of the hallmarks of your uh, approach to options trading. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and just add some color to this idea of selling premium, selling options, uh, selling volatility in order to, to earn income? And effectively, that's how you profit from options trading. Sure. And, you know, it's it's a very broad and, and obviously this is an expansive topic. But um, first of all, I think the most important distinction is I do not view selling options as a income strategy. Okay. So I think that's a very important distinction to make up front. I am a trader. 
I'm an opportunist and I'm somebody that wants to put myself in a position where as a trader, I have the highest probability of success to make a reasonable amount of money. I do not consider that in any way, shape or form income. Um, I consider trading to be, um, you know, I, I look at it as, as wealth creation. I look at it as, you know, this is what I've been doing for, you know, a little over four decades. Yeah. Yeah. I built some companies, um, in the process and which, which I love doing, but the majority of my career, I'm um, the majority of my life, I should say, I have spent in front of a computer trading. Um, I still, you know, like just before we're getting ready for this podcast, I was, you know, flattening out a couple of positions. I mean, I've been a little bit quiet today. I've only made, you know, uh, just under 40 trades this morning. We're about an hour into the day. So I'm, I'm still a hardcore junkie and I don't view anything I do. I'm, I'm a risk taker, but I do it in a way where I feel like um, the most important aspect of what I do is I, I try to control everything I can control meaning I, I control all my opening trades. Um, I am an option seller simply because I don't believe there's there's significant edge in selling options over buying options or any of that kind of stuff. I do believe there's a significant advantage of being right more often than being wrong, which I think option sellers are obviously right more than they're wrong because, you know, premium decays. Yeah. Um, and therefore I put myself in a position to trade from strength rather than trading defensively. So I think that it's not a function of I'm giving myself, I am for sure. I have no theoretical edge. I mean, I know that if I, somebody who's a seller and somebody who's a buyer, there's no theoretical edge one way or the other. What, but the person who's a seller is going to be right more than they're going to be wrong. They just are going to make, you know, potentially they're going to make less money when they're right and they're going to lose more money when they're wrong. And that's what evens out that that risk reward. So, but I prefer to be on that side. So it's more a function of where where I see the the, the highest probabilistic outcome. And that's how I view trading. I don't think trading is, you know, in a traditional sense, trading has always been about um, you know, being right. Hey, I'm going to guess whether the stock's going to go up or down or whatever is going to happen next. Or, you know, people have this massive, you know, macro view of the world and all this other crap. I don't think about it like that. I think about trading as I'm a, I'm a hardcore, you know, I'm a hardcore capitalist, but I'm an opportunist. And I view trading as, hey, markets are efficient. Markets are random. I want to give myself the best chance to be have the highest probability of success and manage my winning trades as best I can and use my mechanics to do that. And that's what I've spent the last, you know, 13 years at Tasty just building basically mechanics. We've been we've been building a think tank um, and to support, you know, like I don't care what kind of trading like you start off saying I'm an option trader, which I am, but I I feel like I'm indifferent to product now. I don't care what we trade. Could be stocks, could be futures, could be futures options, could be uh, digital currencies. You know, I, I don't care what it is. Like every market to me is exactly the same. Okay. Okay. All right. Interesting. But um, I mean, just to keep on the op- on the options topic, I mean, and, and this is a stat that I've read, but it depends on whether, which research you read, but that it suggests that around about 80% or more of options generally expire worthless. 
I mean, I know you guys have got uh, data scientists working there. Yeah. You've probably got more accurate figures yeah, that, than I that, do. That number is, that's an industry number that's, that's, um, that's fair. I don't, I don't think anybody would argue that. I mean, I, we don't, I don't know if it's 85, 83, 82, 73, whatever it is, yeah. but just say 80. It's fine. Sure. Right. That's a good yeah. number. Yeah. So, I mean, to be on the side selling premium, then obviously that it naturally does give you a little bit of an edge if you believe that 80% of options expire worthless. Um, what I want to ask you, though, is your approach to specifically around options. I mean, I know you, you said that you're yeah, sure. pro- product agnostic and you'll yeah. trade trade anything that moves with the price, right? But um, from what I have seen of your, a lot of your work, it's quite mechanical in terms of the way that you trade, uh, that, that you approach options trading. Can you maybe give us a bit of an idea from a high level perspective of the type of criteria you look at for setting up a, a particularly a, a, a trade that involves selling options, be it, you know, any of the complicated strategies like an iron condor or a broken wing butterfly. I mean, there's, there's some very interesting names for all of these structures out there, but you know, I presume there are some ba- basic uh, criteria that you look for before you put one of these types of trades on, right? Uh, of course. And um, sure, I, I can easily walk you through some, you know, some, um, some criteria that that we use. You know, I, I think the single most important thing when anybody is trading anything, uh, first of all, the underlying has to be liquid. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we do, and 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 I, I I should say what you've seen me talk about, and and how I talk to people that, you know, follow us and and watch our network and and use our brokerage firm and stuff like that. The reason I I present an incredibly mechanical approach um, all the time is because I just feel like there's so many people out there that just talk about markets in a very subjective, opinionated view of things that to me, I... I'll never forget a really great trader back in my early days of trading, and I had a really strong opinion on an underlying stock. And I and I talked to this trader, and he'd been around longer than me, and he was he was just one of the best traders in Chicago. And I I, I looked at him after he made a trade, and I go, man, I really don't. I, I think that stock's going down. I don't like that trade. He goes, don't ever tell me what you think the stock's going to do ever again. Like like in other words, he didn't care what I thought, and that. <laughs> That stuck with me now for almost 40 years because I had this really strong opinion in my head about what this stock was going to do. And and this guy was a great trader and he didn't care. He couldn't care less what I thought. And ultimately, the reason he was a great trader is because he didn't care what anybody thought. I have taken the approach to the next level with respect to Tasty. And I don't care what other people think about, you know, what this stock's going to do, what the macro picture's going to do, what the market's going to do. And the reason I present a very mechanical, mathematical, practical, probabilistic approach to trading is because if somebody like you or anybody else out there wants to listen or follow our stuff, I, I want them to appreciate that I'm delivering math and nothing else. Right. Like, I don't, I don't want you to care about what I think the market's going to do. Just like, I don't care what you think the market's going to do. I right. want you to say, Hey, that guy's interesting because he actually gave me a, a logical mechanical reason why the math makes sense here. 
you know, all, all the, the game we play, the derivatives game, is is it's it's all um, it's all mathematical. It's all model generated. It's all just variations of of Black Shoals or some other you know derivatives pricing model, and so everything is just a number of plug-in variables everything we do and that's why the markets are so good that's why they're so efficient that's why they're that's why they're priced so accurately and off of those variables you can you know get all this information which we'll talk about later in this in this podcast but for me um when i'm looking at making a trade you know the first thing that pops up to me is i need that underlying to be super liquid right that's the first thing you can't trade anything there's no efficiency if there's no liquidity yeah. And one of the reasons that most people trade in America um, when they want to trade, you know, options or futures, futures, options, that kind of thing, is just because we have the deepest, most liquid markets. And you need that liquidity to be an active trader. Right. That's number one. Hmm. Second thing I look for is I like, I like, I, I equate opportunity with noise and I equate noise with volatility. So the more volatility, the more noise, the more uncertainty for somebody else, the more fear, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Therefore, the most opportunity. So number one, I want liquidity. Number two, I want high volatility. Right. Because with high volatility, you don't get a higher probability of profit. You, you don't get a higher probability of success. Hmm. Sorry, I, I said that wrong. You don't get a higher probability of, of um, success. What you do get is the opportunity to make more for the same amount of risk. Right. So let's say I had a 72% chance of success in high probability and a 72% chance of success as defined by a math equation in low probability. In high probability, you'll make, let's say $2. And in low probability, you make $1. Right. You're taking the same risk reward, same probability, but I want the opportunity to make $2, not $1. Right. So I want liquidity and high implied volatility. Those are the two most important like foundational aspects of trading for me. Okay. All right. Super. Now, something else that I've seen from watching a lot of your work, in in addition to those criteria that you've talked about now, is that you generally have a sweet spot in terms of the the time, um, and I'm and I'm specifically referencing options and sold options here, where it seems you like to take trades where the time to de- time to expiry is forty five days or less, generally. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that and, the, and, and also the, the profit-taking strategy on these? So um, the 45 days is a number that we came up with after a significant, literally thousands of hours of research um, to determine where in a, in a option decay curve like it's it's almost like a duration durational curve yeah we're in an option decay curve or we're over a certain period of duration do you have the optimal amount of premium decay with the least amount of gamma risk yeah and that came out in the period from 45 days to 21 days so a lot of our research and i think this is pretty groundbreaking because it's the most important i think it's the most significant kind of development in option trading, you know, as far as for individual investors in, in in a long, long time, is the perfect time to put on a trade is around 45 days, perfect time to take off a trade is around 21 days. That gives you a set of mechanics, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be, everything's not completely like helter-skelter all the time. And you're, you, you, you put yourself in the best 
point of the of the decay curve to open trades and to close trades or to adjust trades or to roll trades. And in the process of doing that, the whole concept of managing early is essentially means you reduce all your outlier risk. Yeah. You basically eliminate outlier risk. Right. So that's why we've developed that whole that whole scheme. Okay. So that's interesting. 21 days. So you cut the trade back, you know, take a profit kind of halfway through the duration to expiry. Um, the other thing I've seen you do quite often is that it, is, is you look at the potential, the maximum potential profit on a trade uh, based on the pre- potential premium that you could earn. And you bank that profit once you've earned about 50% of that potential. Exactly. Well, it's, it's usually so, one or the other. Yes. Yeah. One or the other. Right. So, but w- what, what I'm intrigued about is, why not run it all the way to expiry? I mean, obviously you've crunched the numbers and you've got, you, you know that, the, but um, is there, you know, does your marginal benefit decline if you try and hold this position all the way into expiry or is there added risk by holding it all the way to expiry or, or why, why would you not? There's added outlier. First of all, there's added outlier risk. Okay. And your P&L per day. So between 45 and 21 days, Let's just say your PL is X. Yeah. Between 21 and zero, your PL is less than X. So it's you okay. make lower less PL per day and you take more risk because your gamma risk goes up by double, triple, quadruple as you get closer to expiration. Right. So you take more risk, you make less money. So it, it can you hold it? Of course you can hold it, but you make less money per day and you take more risk. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. And I guess over a number of observations, there's going to be some outlier that maybe you know wipes you on a on a trade like that. These these are all optimizations. These are all these are all generalizations that we optimize that we give you like you know like all we can do as as both researchers and traders and people that try to you know I mean my goal is to we give away all our content like we don't charge mm. for anything we give away everything yes my goal is to engage an entire generation of traders you know and, and that could be ages from 18 to 88 or 98 whatever it is and engage traders and give them a set of mechanics and optimize those mechanics so they so you know looking at a option screen is intimidating to somebody that's never traded a derivatives product before. Mm -hmm. Looking at futures options, it's intimidating. But if I say, hey, futures options, listed options, they're the exact same thing, basically, mechanically. And then, hey, if you go look at options and you know, I'm going to go look at 45 days, I'm going to go manage at 21 days, I'm going to do, I'm going to look for liquidity, I'm going to look for high volatility. Hey, all of a sudden, I take out all these really difficult variables, simplify everything, and brings us back to one of the things that you said on the opening, which is, um, I think one of the things that we do better than anybody else in the world when it comes to finance is, or or at least talking about finance, is we make incredibly complex financial topics simple to understand. Yeah. And you do it very well, I must say. Having watched a lot of your shows, you really do dumb it down very, very nicely um, so that it, it comes across simply. Um, just still on the point of being written on options. I, there's there's also the school of thought that being net written on options is it can be very very risky, um, so, and, I, and I want to talk to you about how you mitigate risk. Uh, somebody once said to me when when 
when you're selling options, you eat like an elephant, uh, you eat like a bird and you shit like an elephant, which I thought was, you know, because obviously you're, you're collecting small premium. If it goes wrong, it can go horrendously wrong. And, um, but obviously there are ways to mitigate that risk. I guess one of those ways, first of all, is that you've, you know, you've let, narrowed it down to limited time frame. So you've naturally just limited the amount of time that you're exposed to the market and that in itself mitigates some of the risk. But w- what else? I mean, I know structures like, for example, an iron condor involves, yeah, it's, it's a written call and a written put and then hedged out. Well, protected, I guess, at the wings with a, with a, a bought call and a bought put. Um, but I mean, have you have you ever had trades like where, where you've you've been written and it something's happened, some sort of a black swan event or an earnings report or uh, corporate action or whatever comes along and completely destroys your trade? And you know, you were you were expecting to make X, but you end up losing ten X. Um, the answer is yes, and it's happened to me probably more times than it's happened to anybody else in okay. in the history of trading. So of course, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's the nature of trading. You know, I mean, you make a few million trades in your lifetime, you're going to have, you know, your fair share of outliers, both for you and against you. Um, There, I have learned a lot in the last third of my career, then, you know, in the first part of my career, I learned a lot, you know, about trading and everything. And the second part, you know, we learned, I mean, every stage of my life and my career, I've learned more and more about different aspects of the business. But in the last, you know, 13 years since we built Tasty, um, one of the things that that I've learned is to trade smaller. Because, yeah. again, one of the things that you can control, one of the most fascinating things about finance is, if you think about it, one of the things that you can control is your size. Yeah. And if you keep your trade size small, a black swan event can never hurt you. The only thing that could hurt you in a black swan event is if your trade size is too big. Right. So the single most important thing about trading that I've learned is to keep your trade size small because then a black swan event is irrelevant. It okay. is the single greatest defense. The The second greatest defense is to manage early because there is no point in the last 40 years where early management of, um, there's no point there is no trade date or no really point in all of trading where if you didn't manage early um, or if you managed early, I'm sorry, let me say that right. If you managed early, you were not subjected to outlier moves. It's less than like a fraction of 1%. So we're talking about, you know, like we look at outlier moves as basically, let's call it outside of two standard deviations. But a true black swan is like, you know, let's call it five, three, five, seven, ten 10 standard deviations. There's only been one or two moves in the last 40 years where if you managed your trade early, you would have been subjected to an unquantifiable outlier move. I mean, obviously yeah. 1987, but that was even before we had skew sure. and maybe one other move since then. It's It just hasn't happened. So I don't worry about, I do not worry about my positions ever because I stay small, I manage early. Yeah. Period. And, and and I mean, in terms of uh, entry, do you try and do you look at earnings and things? If you if you're trading a stock option, I mean, do you try and not be written over earnings, or does that not really matter to you? Um, I I will adjust. It doesn't. Earnings coming up do not matter to me, but okay. I will always adjust on the day of earnings. So okay. you know, one of the things. First of all, I only trade liquid underlying, so that means I, there's only about. 
I trade probably, let's call it 200 different underlyings. Out of 4,000 stocks, I'd say about 2,000 are what I would consider liquid enough to trade. I don't trade anything other than those top 200 futures, okay. you know, stocks, whatever it is. And so if I'm in one of those positions, they have earnings coming up, I will look at my position and the chances are because they're liquid, I will either recenter on the day of earnings or I will adjust the position on the day of earnings or I will close. So I don't mind putting a position on before earnings, but I will adjust going into the earnings announcement that afternoon. Okay. All right. So you'd prefer what it has have some sort of a hedge or something so that you're not necessarily exposed over the earnings report. Yeah, I don't I don't hedge. Um, yeah. I will adjust I will adjust strikes. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. All right. Super. Now, uh, Tom, on your, your tasty trade, um, sorry, on your tasty live show, you've got a show called Fast Market, which yeah. I, I find very interesting. I enjoy watching that. And that's where you receive trade ideas from your clients, from your followers, and you assess them live and you you've got an incredible knack for being able to analyze a trade and decide very quickly whether it's a good idea or not a good idea um you then put those trades on in most cases from what i've seen but from that you've obviously seen a hell of a lot of uh what retail traders are looking at in terms of doing uh in their in their own trading and from that i guess you also get to see a lot of the potential errors that people make, um, amateur traders make with their with their trading. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see people making when they send in those ideas and uh, and, and you have to analyze them? Well, when our when our customers send in ideas, they're, they're, they're usually pretty hardcore tasty traders. So yeah. they kind of know like, you know, the direction, the, the kind of, you know, strategies I like and things like that. Yeah. So that's why I trust them blindly because I, I would trust our own, viewers and our own customers way more than I trust any professional in this business. Okay. Me that. <laughs> but I have been around the block um, more times than I care to, to talk about. And I think, you know, for me, I am, if I was to, well, obviously the, the simplest answer to what is the biggest mistake customers make? And the answer is they trade too big. Okay. You know, I mean, the, they're, you can talk about discipline, you can talk about, you know, strategy, you can talk about lots of things, but the reality that, um, uh, that customers, you know, the, the, the reality of mistakes that customers make is that they trade too big and they, they do not understand, you know, um, some very basic things like, like allocation of capital, capital efficiency and trade size. You know, there are a lot of different ways to make the same type of trade. If you have a $200 stock, for example, you know, you could tie up a lot of capital by doing something that's undefined and you might want to make that defined so that you can use, you know, a, a, a tenth or a 20th of the capital. And then if you're trading a, you know, a $15 stock or a $20 stock, you might want to do it undefined because it's cheaper than doing it defined. So I think that an understanding of capital efficiency and how to, you know, how to use your capital and also, I mean, the biggest mistake is trade size, but not understanding capital efficiency, not understanding, you know, there's a little bit of nuance to products and, and trading and things like that. So I, I think, you know, lack of know-how, but mostly trade size. Mostly trade size. And I guess that comes back to that old uh, fear and greed in the markets. And that's the greed, the greed component possibly coming out there. People love, you know, a lot of people don't like the grind. You know, to be successful in trading, just like anything else, mm. you've you 
you know, I'm a law, you know, I'm a law, law of large numbers freak. And you've got to do something a lot in order to, you know, be able to recognize the opportunity in that, you know, and a lot of people aren't willing to make that commitment, don't want to make that commitment. Um, also, a lot of people, you know, love the idea of potentially, you know, overnight success and things like that. It doesn't, yeah. you know, the truth is it doesn't really happen. There is no such thing as an overnight yeah. success. You know, for every one person that does, 100,000 people don't. Yeah. What's well, <laughs> so, that old that old thing I said, it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, there, there's a lot of truth to that. And there's, in, in our world, you know, I, and I understand this, there's, there is, I, I don't think people realize how efficient markets are and how difficult it is, you know, to be successful. Um, it's not impossible because, because the markets are so efficient. Every side has the same chance. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, you know, how much, how willing are you to make the commitment to, you know, the industry, the space, whatever it is. And, and I just don't think, you know, I mean, a lot of people just don't have the time or the resources or the energy, you know, or the want to. to yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about a process. Yeah. Um, you, you've obviously got your tasty live show, which uh, the, the channel, which is brilliant. Um, you've also got Tasty Trade, which is your trading platform, which incidentally was bought by IG Markets in 2021 for a billion dollars, if, if I'm right. Um, and, and IG are the sponsors of this podcast. So I'm happy to, uh, to, to mention that. In terms of the Tasty Trade platform, I want to talk to you a little bit about that, Tom. Um, personally, I've never used it, which is, is a little bit embarrassing, I guess. But um, I have traded on a number of other platforms. I've, I obviously do trade through IG. I've traded through Interactive Brokers. I've traded through Saxo, a number of other platforms. Um, specifically, what makes the Tasty Trade platform special? Uh, and, I, and I'm asking in a little bit of a selfish way here, because I'm kind of thinking maybe in terms of my own options trading, I should be looking to to set up an account there and give it a try. What are the spreads like? Because something I've found with trading options through a number of brokers is that the the spreads are very wide, which make it difficult when you're, um, particularly when you're selling options, trying to collect that premium. If the spread is extremely wide, then it kind of takes a lot of the meat out of the trade. So what are the spreads like on Tasty, Tasty Trade? Uh, and then I've got another question following on from that is how many legs of a trade can you enter at one time in the order book? Well, you can do um, two, three, or four. Okay. You know, I mean, we 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 limit it to four, not because we could go to eight if we wanted to, but it's not. Nobody routes eight-legged spreads, so it's not it's not worth it. it ties up, takes up too much space. You know, yeah. we're very focused on design and and character space and things like that. Yeah. So I'm gonna back up to the beginning of your question. First of all, we are not um, uh, we we are not in the same business as as. IG. So IG is is an, an OTC platform. Yeah. Um, we are a listed platform. So right. we don't compete with with IG at all. That's a completely separate. If you want to trade, you know, if you want to trade CFDs or any anything OTC or spot market, that's what they do. Right. We are different. We are listed only. So we are not the counterparty. Yeah. You know, when you trade with IG, they're the counterparty. You know, it's their platform, they're the counterparty, everything else. Yeah. Um, which is fine it's a different type of trading. Mm -hmm. We are a listed platform. And so we're just a facilitator. You know, we're the go between between, you know, you and and the various products, whatever they are, whatever the exchanges are. 
Yeah. So just to, so that just to clarify that for the listeners. So I mean, if you're you're potentially trading on what CBOE, um, in any of the other listed options exchanges in the US. Yeah, there's eleven. There's eleven different exchanges. You don't have to pick the exchange. We do it all for you. Okay, so so if I go on to Tasty Trade, I want to trade a, a structure. Let's just say I want to trade an iron condor. There's yeah. four legs to that. Yeah. I can go and price it all up. I can enter all four legs of that tr- structure. Yeah, let me let me finish. I'll okay, just right. make this simple for you. Yeah. So so I just want to explain that's the difference between you know Tasty and IG. Right. Now we do compete with, for example, interactive brokers. Yeah. And when you look at the Interactive Brokers platform and the Tasty platform, I mean, that's who we compete with. Interactive Brokers, you know, TD, uh, Schwab, E-Trade, Fidelity, all those platforms. You know, that, those are, that's our competitive group. Um, the difference is that, that I believe that we built the best option technology in the world. Yeah. Um, we built the, the premier platform, which was called Thinkorswim. That was our last platform, yep. and which is now Schwab's primary platform. But I built that. Mm-hmm. And we had sold that to TD Ameritrade, and then they sold it to Schwab. Um, and then we built Tasty, which I think is the best, you know, option trading platform in the world, even though you can trade stock options, futures, futures options, crypto, everything on it. Um, when you said, when you asked about spreads, the spreads have nothing to do with Tasty. The spreads have nothing to do with interactive brokers or any other brokerage firm. None mm-hmm. of us make markets. Yeah. We're all just route them. But the spread markets in the U.S. now, the high frequency spread markets are a penny wide. Whatever you want to trade is a penny wide. So if you want to do an iron condor in XYZ, as long as XYZ is liquid, like let's say XYZ is Tesla or XYZ is NVIDIA or XYZ is whatever else, you know, you move it one or two pennies off mid-price, you're filled. Okay. And in the futures world, you move it one tick off mid-price, you're filled. So everything now is down to, is down to, um, is down to percents of pennies, you know, fractions of pennies or pennies. And so the spreads are so tight. They've never been tighter. They're the average spread fill for us on Tasty, but it's no different than any other platform, just so yeah. you understand. It's not right. like Tasty doesn't, we don't make better markets yeah. than Interactive Brokers. We don't make better markets than E-Trade. You know, I mean, we, we are the only high frequency platform in America. So we're the only ones that have high frequency middleware, which means our platform is, could be up to 10 times faster so instead of 250 milliseconds, we could be, you know, 45 or 50 milliseconds, but it's all the blink of an eye, but we are lightning fast, right. but that doesn't make us, we don't make better, we don't have better markets. We don't have better spreads or any of that kind of stuff. Um, we may have lower commissions than other people, but whatever the case is, that that doesn't make us special. What makes us special is that we have built, we have the newest platform in in the world for trading complex, you know, complex option spreads or any kind of spread, future spreads or whatever you want to say. And the nice thing about Tasty is regardless of your account type, regardless of where you are anywhere in the world, everybody can trade whatever you want to trade in whatever format you want to trade it. Like in other words, we have multiple interfaces all from the same look and feel that allow you to trade any product, any strategy, in basically any market, any way you want to do it with no restrictions because it's your money. And we made it so simple to adjust, roll, to enter spreads. Everything is a single click. And right. nothing is, everything's drag and drop in a single click. And there's no other platform like it in the world. Like Interactive Brokers platforms, you know, 20 some odd, 25 years old at this point. It's old, it's, you yeah. know, it's not, it's old, it's slow, it's clunky, whatever. TDS yeah. platform, we built it. 
was this it was the best platform in the world until we built tasty it's old it's slow it's clunky it's bloated all that kind of stuff yeah tasty is you know same thing with fidelity same thing with e-trade and all those tasty is it's lean it's slick it's not bloated it's super fast and it's conducive to trading i mean 80 percent of our business is options right. and then 10 percent is futures options then 10 percent is futures we don't even really do much stock at all even okay. though stock is free on the platform it doesn't matter to us okay we are focused on delivering you know the best option software in the world that's all we do and that's why you should be on tasty no, right. no other reason it's just that we make like you want to trade an iron condor great trade an iron condor on tasty you want to trade a skewed iron condor great trade a skewed iron condor you want to trade an unbalanced iron condor great trade an unbalanced iron condor you want to do it in multiple underlyings and and futures or futures everything sets up the same way everything looks the same thing we just we just made a platform that is super conducive to trading the average person on tasty trades over a thousand times a year the average person wow so it's a okay. very um aggressive platform with respect to you know we support traders that's yeah. it yeah i'm sold i'm sold tom beautiful. i'm gonna go and open an account straight after this and give beautiful. it a go fantastic now we are uh, running out of time and i just want to always i like to wrap these up on a slightly lighter note um I want to ask you, Tom, you're, you're 66 years old now, and I know that because I looked it up on, on Wikipedia. You're a very energetic guy. What do you do in your spare time when you're not working so hard, and how do you keep such a high level of energy going at your age? I, I don't feel old, even though, I, I'm, I'm, even though parts of me are breaking down, no question about it. <laughs> um, you know, I definitely have some, some broken pieces, um, but – you know, I'm a I'm a workaholic and I don't have any hobbies and I I kind of live, you know, every weekend I'm or every other weekend I'm in a different city, you know, giving a, a talk on option trading and, and last weekend we were in New York City. Um two weeks before that we were in um uh Texas. We were we were in Austin, Texas, two weeks before that. Um, you know, I was in well, you saw me this summer in London. I mean I've been yeah. You know, next week we'll be in, or I'm sorry, two weeks we'll be in, in, um, in Boston, and then two weeks after that we'll be in Los Angeles. You know, we, it, it just keeps going. Two weeks after that we're in Denver. Um, I just keep moving. Um, one, so I don't die, and <laughs> two, because it's what I love to do, yeah. and I don't want to slow down. I don't want to stop. Um, you know, I'm way past. I do it for the love of the game. I'm way past doing it for the money at this point. I don't, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've made my money. Um, I love trading and I think that I want my legacy to be, you know, that we changed the world of self-directed finance in a way that it's never going back to the way it was before. And I work really hard at that kind of that, that legacy type mission. And I don't see myself, you know, giving up on it. I hope I'm like one of those aging rock stars that just, you know, keeps doing it in finance until, you know, like the, like the Mick Jagger of finance. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> I hope, I hope we can do it into, you know, my seventies and eighties. I don't want to stop. That's so, magic. Um, um, so, and you know, yeah. if I can turn, turn it over and basically hand the torch over to, you know, young people like you and, and, you know, up and comers in the industry, you know, that's really my goal to make sure that the next generation, that your generation, you know, is in a position to continue the mission 
you know, moving people away from passive to active. Yeah, fantastic. Well, your passion certainly does shine through, Tom. Last thing is, I've got to ask you about the hat. I, I think that hat you wear is so cool. Um, and it's become your brand. I mean, that is synonymous with Tom Sosnoff. And to the point where it's almost like no one else can ever wear a hat like that, because it's it's your brand. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's the only guy in the world who should be allowed to wear a flat cap backwards. And sure. and that 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 you wear is not quite a flat cap. I don't know what it is, but it's cool. It's very different. Is there a story behind that? Because it's certainly no, your man, brand. My, my, you know, I was getting into the crazy world of, um, you know, I had been a trader on the floor for a long time. And when I left the floor, you know, and I started building bigger swim and getting into the retail business, you know, I, I mean, my hair was long. I didn't want to like, you know, scare the children in, on Wall Street and that kind of stuff. So I figured, well, I'll try this look. And uh, and it's kind of stuck with me for the last, you know, 25 years. So um, I like it. You know, it's uh, um it's it's just it's just it's kind of been my shtick i don't really think there's anything more to it you know yeah. i don't think about it anymore it's just uh it's just part of the look you know it's uh um it's I'm very not cool typical wall street exec so <laughs> i think it's just you know it's helped it's helped to separate me yeah well it certainly has it's certainly cool branding Fantastic, Tom. Well, it's it's been an absolute honor and an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thanks so much for giving up your time to come on Talking With Traders today. Um, in terms of where listeners and viewers can follow you, I guess it's tastylive.com. Anywhere else yeah, that I'm you'd on, like I'm to on, direct them? I'm on tastylive.com doing a live show every morning from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Um, Central Time. That's uh, We're Chicago-based, so Central yeah. Time. It's our, our network's free. I also do a closing um, bell, you know, piece from two thirty to three every afternoon on tastylive.com. Um, I'm also, you know, travel all around. So you can see one of our live shows somewhere, mm -hmm. tastylive.com forward slash events. And if you want to drop me an email, I'm just Tom at tasty live. Magic. Well, thank you so much, Tom. It's really been a pleasure. You go well. I know you've got a deadline now, so we're going to have to cut it here, but thanks again. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.